Hello, FDT fam. Just wanted to hop on quick before this week's episode covering Carrie the Musical to issue a content warning. The actual content warning for the musical itself advises against murder and violence, child domestic abuse, bullying, sexual content, graphic depictions of blood, sexual harassment, mentions of sexual assault, different forms of profanity, eating disorders, and even animal murder. So if this is not your flavor of the week, no worries. Please feel free to skip this week's episode. But if you continue on, just please be advised of all those, especially if you happen to be under the age of 13. In this week's episode of From the Top. Mmm, you don't get to pray away your period, okay? Just like you don't pray away gay, you don't pray away your period. It doesn't happen. It was from the beginning, and every turn, it became more Enter in our lovely German. Now, I'm not going to... (laughs) Oh, wait, wait, wait. The building of this entire musical needs to be its own film. It's Catch Me If You Can meets Waiting for Guffman. Is by far the worst 15 minutes in theater that I've ever seen in my life. We've got magic to do just for... Did you actually go to prom? Nada. Good, because I didn't either. And if this is any indication of what actually happens at prom, I'm fucking glad I didn't go to prom. Maybe Carrie's why I didn't want to go to prom. I was like, I don't want (laughs) to. I don't know. Like the idea of going to prom was always very fascinating to me. Like the allure of like having a date and getting ready to go and then like hang out with your friends and doing all this. But like you, you watch. Did you ever go to any dance though in high school? Cause I like, I went to other dances. I just didn't go to my senior prom. I was like, Nah, <laughs> Bye. I don't like you people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, remember that I went to a Catholic high school. So like our version of a dance was like the 30 people across the four grades of high school that would show up in a gym that was four times as big as what it needed to be. And, and we had leave room for Jesus. Thank you. I was just about to say, you watch all of these depictions of like going to prom and it's like, you've always got the one guy that spikes the punch. You've got the one guy who's like trying to pull pranks. You've got, you know, the, the one that's like trying to get with all the girls. Like there are just these arguments archetypes that show up at prom that like I wa- watching Carrie was very interesting because I'm like you get you're so inundated with the like the main storyline that you kind of forget that like prom is like the pinnacle of what happens so um you know but nobody tried to spike the punch in this they were too busy you know getting annihilated so <laughs> you know it's fine, but I mean, I feel like we we got to get into this because I understand that you have different views on this show than I do, and I'm very Ooh. ready to talk about it. So the mm-hmm. only the only thing to do then is to take this show from, from the, the top. top, from the top, a five, six, seven. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. My name is Mary. And my name is Stephen. I think that's the tune. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tonight on the marquee, we are discussing a musical that is a little, you could say it's controversial, especially with its history. We are discussing Carrie the Musical. Silence, silence, you used black 
this is coined as the flop to end all flops. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, I even said it to the Phantom and he was like, like mid making his coffee. I said that and I hear a spoon like drop on the counter and he went, excuse me. I said, <laughs> everything about this today has me filled with like my own trepidation and <laughs> feeling like I'm going a little crazy. Oh my God. Like, Fair enough. One, I have to talk about the female reproductive process, which has me needing to find Jesus. And then, like, <laughs> this history is making me want to burn down a prom. So I, You know what, boo-boo? We'll hold each other's hands and we'll stand in the bucket of blood together, okay? We'll, we, I got you. I promise. We'll be, we'll be good with you. Well, you know what you can get from me? What can a I? synopsis. You I mean, got three it. three sentences or less. <laughs> well, uh, apparently in the last days of 2023, I have decided to be an organized human and I wrote down a synopsis again. Um, so it's a sheltered girl who has a religious zealot for a mother gets bullied by people at school after having her first period. She discovers that she is not like other kids because she has telekinetic powers and tries to suppress them. One girl tries to serve up an olive branch in the form of her boyfriend taking Carrie to prom, and the show ends like a Shakespearean tragedy. Everyone dies at the end. Oh my god, spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> those are the bullet points of the show. <laughs> those, are, those are the absolute bullet points of the show, and I don't think you really need to know anything else. Scary Carrie. Spooky Scary Carrie. Like, this show is spooky because it gets under your skin, right? Really, um, though? It sure, it really the, does. High school is such a visceral thing for so many people, but you can carry high school into your everyday life, your everyday life at work passing by someone at the supermarket. Carrie could be anyone that you pass by. Absolutely. And that's what makes this more bone chilling. Oh my God. Because you probably have preconceived notions and thoughts about someone. It also makes you check yourself a little bit and it's your own sort of moral measuring device. As in, would I have been on the right side of all of this? The things that I, that I find relatable about this musical, you know, of course I was a, you know, I, I do in fact identify as as a you know female and uh being in high school is although i my high school experience was different that it was a i was a catholic high school kid um some of the same things still apply like wanting to be accepted and then you know bullying is a huge thing and you know when you boil it down this story is truly a tragedy it's it's about you know a girl who is just desperate to want to feel normal and be and i find it very fascinating that we're coming off of fun home with this musical because a lot of the things are very similar like suppressing things wanting things to look or be normal not really knowing who you are and accepting who you are like you know there's there are a lot of parallels and i'm very excited to i mean obviously not draw parallels between this and fun home but like uh, i'm i'm excited to get into the discussion of this so yeah plot of carrie it's pretty simple pretty easy there is a sort of social pariah she is cast out she doesn't uh is does not fit in she uh one day because of her religious upbringing uh has her first time of the month uh so it happens <sighs> the first uh, curse of has, womanhood <laughs> yes has no idea what is happening because of the religious upbringing the other schoolgirls, of course make fun of her that sets off a domino effect of teachers needing to intervene and sort of become her safeguard and then punishments are doled out to the fellow students who then want to exact revenge mm -hmm. on this simple girl who is just trying to live then it all culminates at the very end to a huge plot of dead pigs a bucket of that blood and uh a lot of telekinetic death. Oh, hurt me. 
interesting to me uh, to look at Stephen King as an author like we know that that Stephen King like likes to incorporate a lot of um you know not mythical but like supernatural things into like realistic uh scenarios like pet cemetery is a great example where you've got like you know these these uh burial grounds that then resurrect people from the dead and like but everything around it is so realistic carrie is no different like we are literally putting a girl we are following the story of a girl in high school which uh, under any other circumstance may not be the most compelling thing in the entire world to watch but then you add this element of telekinesis and then you add the element of a religious zealot as a mom and like all of these little things that then draw you into wanting to root for Carrie and I mean I'll be curious to when we when we start talking about it whether or not you think Carrie is the hero or the villain of this story let's talk about our players speaking of Carrie who else are we working with if we have a hero or a villain we need to have other players we are still going to go to the most reputable website on the internet wikipedia.com and that joke will never not be funny to me uh never not be funny (laughs) cast size is probably anywhere from like i would say eight nine to twelve or fifteen players like you've got kids who are like in school and and you know like your background Mm. folks nothing pisses me off more than going to a production where you're supposed to fill an auditorium and you have 10 people in your cast and a blank stage and i'm going this is not prom so (laughs) i would say Please pad your ensemble. (laughs) We have eight named characters in total. Um, And actually, funny story, Wikipedia does have some descriptions of these characters. So starting with our main character, uh, we have Carrie White. Uh, Carrie White is a shy outcast, often bullied by her classmates. While showering after gym class, Carrie has her first period for which the other girls tease her. This event sparks the emergence of Carrie's telekinetic powers, which she ultimately uses for revenge after being cruelly pranked at the prom. Suffering a breakdown after being doused in pig's blood, Carrie sets the school ablaze, killing her entire class and teachers, only to come home to being fatally stabbed by her mother. Carrie uses her powers to kill her mother, dying shortly afterward and being comforted by Sue. Uh, More spoilers. If you aren't familiar with what happens in this show, that just gave you everything you needed to know. So anyway, (laughs) moving on from that. uh, Next, we do have Margaret White, who is Carrie's mom. Uh, Margaret is one of the main antagonists. Carrie's overprotective and abusive mother, Margaret is a religious zealot. Although she loves Carrie and wants to protect her from the world, especially from the school, her fanaticism often drives her to homeschool or abuse her daughter. After Carrie develops telekinesis and goes to the prom against her wishes, Margaret comes to believe that killing Carrie is a sacrifice and that is the only way to save her from damnation. 
Carrie uses her powers to stop her mother's heart in retaliation after being stabbed by her. That was one of the things that the Phantom had said, like in the book, Margaret believes that Carrie is possessed and the only way to save her is by killing her. So that's where we get this epic thing at the end where she's like, you know, I have to release you from the demons. And Well, because I think she quotes Abraham. Abraham had to go up and try to almost sacrifice his son on the slab. But when we get into Margaret, because I want to bring her up as a talking point, because I I know that the book has a lot more to say just on her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even the film, I feel almost paints her in a certain way. But this musical has a different vibe. It's got a different tone. Next on our list, we have Sue Snell. Sue is one of the most popular girls at school. She initially teases Carrie like the other girls, but later feels remorse. In an attempt for redemption, she asks her boyfriend, Tommy Ross, to take Carrie to prom instead of her. Sue goes to the prom to see how things go, but when she realizes that Carrie is in trouble, she goes to Miss Gardner for help. However, the teacher ejects Sue, thinking that she is trying to humiliate Carrie, thus being spared from Carrie's subsequent massacre. Sue witnesses Carrie's breakdown, and when she finally finds Carrie, comforts her during her last moments, having forgiven her. Now, this was funny to me. In, In prep for this week, for this episode, I watched the original source film uh, for this, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't clear to me that Sue was like feeling remorse. It was really only at the end where I didn't know that Sue wasn't in on the joke and she wasn't helping Chris ultimately on the back end with this plot Mm -hmm. of, you know, dousing Carrie in pig's blood. So like that was weird to me. Then maybe I I just missed something, but it was immediate to me that uh, that was something that the musical did really well, that the film maybe didn't, that she wasn't in on this plot device to uh, get Carrie back for what she had. Yeah. um, Yeah. And even the interactions Carrie has with her boyfriend, Tommy mm -hmm. are ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Speaking of our next character on the call sheet is Tommy Ross. Uh, Carrie's version of Prince Charming. At first, Tommy takes no interest in Carrie, but takes her to the prom after his girlfriend Sue asks him to. Tommy is apprehensive, but soon finds himself wanting to become friends with Carrie. Although ignorant of the prank Chris has planned for Carrie, he dies alongside the rest of the students when Carrie takes her revenge at the prom. So unfortunately, he seems to be a wrong place at the wrong time kind of guy, unfortunately. <laughs> to my absolute surprise, again, talking about this, watching this film, uh, the original Pippin on Broadway, yeah. our blonde Afro kid, uh, ended up <laughs> being Tommy Ross. And I went, oh, well, hello, <laughs> William Katz. <laughs> our blonde Afro kid. Uh, next on the call sheet, we have Chris Harginson. Uh, Chris is one of the main antagonists. Chris hates Carrie, bullying her at every opportunity. She leads the other girls in throwing tampons at Carrie after she has her first period and feels no remorse after the fact. After Chris is banned from the prom as punishment for bullying Carrie, she vows revenge. She comes up with the idea of dumping a bucket of pig's blood on Carrie at the prom. Chris dies during Carrie's revenge. In the 2012 off-Broadway revival, she is forced to choke herself to death. Yeah. Good to know. (laughs) That's neat. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, if it were me, I would also do that because it's like choke on your words. Like, it's a play on like, haha, like eat it, you know. Oh, yeah. Some might say she had to plug it up. Yes. See, I feel like in high school, you would just be the king of like throwing shade. Now me would have been. uh, My high school me, I was probably closer to a carry. So so are you telling, is this how I find out that you have telekinetic powers and that you've never told me that? We don't talk about it. Anyway, moving on. Uh, 
Next on the call sheet is Billy Nolan. Billy Nolan is the not-so-smart boyfriend of Chris. Although not a student, he plans to take Chris to the prom until Chris is forbidden from attending the event. He kills a pig for Chris and harvests its blood in order to prank Carrie, and he is killed during Carrie's breakdown. A.K.A. John Travolta. John Travolta. I mean, like, let's, of course, he's going to play the dumb guy who's just going to go along with it because he wants to get some. I could not. Uh, When he appeared (laughs) on screen, I, like, screamed. I I know. It's so funny to me. And he gets some head in a car. That's what he wanted from Sandy. I mean... I mean, he did get down in the sand, but... She got friendly. Next, we have uh, Miss Gardner. Miss Gardner is Carrie's fairy godmother. She is initially disgusted by the shower incident, but soon realizes that Carrie is completely oblivious to her body's changing. She explains menstruation and helps Carrie develop her self-esteem, giving her the courage to accept Tommy's invitation to prom. While pleased to see Carrie happy at the prom, she is still killed in Carrie's destructive rampage. And last on the call sheet is Mr. Steffens. Late 30s, this well-intentioned English teacher and guidance counselor struggles to help his students realize their potential. A dedicated educator, he's stretched thin in his duties, woefully underpaid, and a bit overwhelmed as to how to handle the Billy Nolans of the classroom zone. He dies at the hands of Carrie's wrath. Where's all this backstory? He has like four (laughs) lines. What is this? Yeah, I mean, it's better than just, you know, he is woefully ignorant and that's it. Just like like an MTI the character thing. character synopsis has more words than you get to say on stage, I don't think that's fair. If your synopsis is more words than your dialogue. <laughs> I mean, it's not fair, but you know what? I mean, you got to throw him a bone. You got to throw him at least one bone. Like, that's that's all you get. Like, that's fine. It's So that, my love, is your call sheet for Carrie. Your head and pray, woman. God made Eve from the rib of Adam, and Eve was weak and loosed the raven on the world, Mama, and the raven fault. was called sin, and God visited Eve with a curse, and the curse was the curse of blood. Say it, woman. And God made Eve from Adam's rib, and Eve was weak. Mama, and how Eve could I know? And Eve was weak. Why didn't you tell me? And God made Eve to bear the curse. The curse of blood. It's not a curse. Miss Gardner said it's something all girls go through. The curse of blood. You should have told me! You're a woman now. Pray to heaven for your wicked soul. The raven came to plague the world. Its name was sin. It's not a sin. Its name was sin. Oh, mama, it's not a sin. Its name was sin. Begin! And lust was how the sin began. Are you so wrecked with this history? Like, why are you wrecked? Come back. What? I am wrecked. A a (gasps) me in the ass with this (gasps) goddamn history. Let's just say I took one of the pigs and (laughs) hole. Excuse me, I got a little fagucked thinking about that entire image because it's awful. This musical is oh neat okay i like it it was from the beginning and every turn it became more and it no wonder they call this the flop to end all flops like no wonder really okay it, it just it, it makes so much sense because hindsight is 2020 20, right no, of course. but when you're in the thick of it you're in the weeds it doesn't make sense Mm-mm. but <clears throat> i can't wait to get into this i i had the pleasure <laughs> of finding the 1988 version <gasps> on youtube i will remind myself to put the link in our descri- episode description so look out for that oh my god oh my god um it's there i'm actually gonna say right now i didn't hate it 
Interesting. It was definitely off, but I think it was too modern for its time. And let's huh. get into why that is. So, there's only one place to take this, and that's from the beginning. That will bring us back to Jones. Telekinesis. Of all the places to start, you want to start with telekinesis? We're going to start okay. with telekinesis. Okay. I feel this, hmm. we're going to lay a foundation. And the foundation oh. is telekinesis. Okay. Yes. So what is telekinesis? Telekinesis is the ability to move objects and manipulate the world with your mind only by thought. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is mm-hmm. X-Men level greatness. Okay. (laughs) Yep. So how does this happen, right? How does one obtain this ability? Now, allegedly, you can train. There have been entire government hidden secret things, especially coming out of World War II, where people have been trying to train in telekinesis. (laughs) Okay. I'm government funding, y'all. We are we are trying. So we're not gonna to fund education. We're gonna fund training in telekinesis. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Power of the mind, y'all. <laughs> mind over matter. <laughs> Truly, literally, <laughs> quite Truly. literally. Really, all that they claim is that you either got this gift or you don't. But you can what? train. <laughs> and that it just takes a lot of focus and determination okay what a government answer (laughs) you're in training no you either have this or you don't but it just takes a lot of focus yeah so watch what you post on like social media you might be like snatched by the men in black in the middle of the night if you seem to maybe have an apt for this sort of thing you might suddenly be bed snatched that's all i'm saying Jesus Christ. Okay. Neat. Ooh, I love it when I'm bed snatched. Oh, wait. <laughs> you like to be snatched in bed, Marilyn. There's a difference. Oh, well, I thought I had telekinesis. I seem to just think about a dick and suddenly one appears in my pussy. <laughs> that is true because you did sign an NDA, so we're not putting dicks in your asshole. Yeah. No dicks in ass. No. Yes. No. <laughs> so, yes, you either are born with this gift or... It is thrust upon you by what is known as a major life event. Something so traumatizing happens to you that it changes your brain chemistry. This is where we sort of get into this origins with Carrie and why this story could be potentially possible. Something so traumatic as getting your first period, not understanding what this is, how it came to be, and why it's happening. Meanwhile, you're getting bombarded with tampons in a shower by your classmates. Yeah. Something so crazy and hectic and changing all those hormones in the brain chemistry. Any major life event, a major car accident. You uh, had a major work event that just failed horribly and you get fired. Like you get so angry that you suddenly have telekinesis. I don't know. But... That's how this starts. And right around this time, they were studying this in the 60s and 70s. They were seeing an uptick of potential telekinetic abilities in girls who had just had their periods for the first time. Huh. Okay. Enter in Stephen King. The world according to Prince is better to strike than get struck. Better to screw than get screwed. You 
does it cost to be kind? Ew. What have you done with my best friend? Billy, so tell me, am I right or am I right? Trust me, I swear there's a dick in every class. Not fair each and every time I fail to lose. We're going to take Stephen King back a little bit. I don't think there are many musicals based upon him, so let's dive into him for just uno momento. Sounds great. A young Stephen King. He had written some books at this point. Nothing had really popped off, you know, majorly. He has a new baby on the way. He's living in a double wide. This is in the mid 70s. He was a part time high school English teacher and also working part time at a laundromat. Also at this high school, he was taking up janitorial shifts. Interesting. Okay. okay. Just for some extra money. We got a baby on the way. We got to start loading our bank accounts. Scrubbing the shower tiles, he noticed that there was a difference between the girls' and boys' locker rooms. Curtains. Girls had curtains, boys did not. And this brought him back to his own weird era of high school himself and just sort of how awkward it could be. He based Carrie off of uh, a couple girls he knew in high school. The first girl was a girl who was just bullied mercilessly and because she always wore the same clothes. And the other girl whose mother had a massive crucifix hanging above the living room couch. (gasps) So, Jesus. Okay. Legitimate Jesus. Neat. So, so these are all things that are stirring in Stephen King's mind at this time. He sits down at his desk on his typewriter, writes about three pages of what is the beginnings of this shower scene. Carrie is having this traumatic event take place. Mm -hmm. Realizes this is a no start. This is a no go. This is trash. He crumples it up, throws it away. Oh, shit. His wife, emptying the garbage, got nosy (gasps) and uncrumpled them and read it. She storms into his office where he is working on something else, plops the unwrinkled pages onto his desk in front of him and says, I want to know the rest of this story. <gasps> no way. No and way. That was that. Enter in a 199 page manuscript that he sends out to various people whom had published other things of his before at this point. Immediately gets uh, uh, taken up. Um, and King was given an advance of $2,500, and he didn't think it would go farther than that uh, based upon, you know, the popularity of his other books. At this point, they had only made about 6000 That was about what he was expecting just up until this point. Sure. It optioned for four hundred k. What? <laughs> and this is 1970s money, honey. Like, this is this is going to be a published book, movie, Any right? All of these I, I, I gotta know. I, I need to adjust for inflation. Oh my God, $400,000 in 1970 is roughly the equivalent to $2.7 million today. Wow. Oh my God, my brain. 199 pages for $2.7 million. I'll take that. Anyway, sorry, nerd tangent aside, moving on. So $2.7 million nowadays, that's insane. God, that's wild. <sighs> Needless to say, that option was good because then this film happened. I'm not going to get into the film. The film was a major success. It is what it is. It is of this time and era. It is on par with the cabarets and the evil deads of the world. Mm-hmm. It is of this time. Yes. Mama sees inside my soul, but her face is cold as stone. If she loves me, why do I feel so all alone? So alone. There's a movement in my head. Saints and angels, what can it be?
What's happening to me? Because of the success of this film, it now has cultural interest. People are wondering what else can be done with this, especially people looking to make some money. Getting into the production of all of this. And again, we have to talk about this sort of time and era that this is taking place. Desegregation is still fresh in, you know, society. Social change is ripe in controversy. Religion, family values are under attack. People are cleaving to old values while the youth are screaming for a direction in like this failed war era time of Nam. So what is this? Media is reflecting this. So why wouldn't Broadway? The litany of names I have to put in front of you right now is exorbitant, long, and hard, and not in the fun way. So (laughs) I'm going to try to make this... As concise and fun as possible. So not to have a second cast list for this episode, but we're going, I'm going to present to you the cast list for why and how the flop of all flops could come to be. Sounds delightful. Hit me one time. (laughs) Not once upon a one more time, which could also be considered a flop of all flops. Sorry. Anyway. All right. So we have to talk about Lawrence Cohen. He's also the one who was initially in uh, this slurry of finding the book, and he ended up writing the book for the musical. Okay. Michael Gore was affiliated with Fame, that lovely 70s film. He ended up writing the music for this. I'm sorry, you said his name is Michael Gore, like legitimately. Michael Gore. Talking about a show that. Talking about a Oh, the world's first horror musical. Yes. Yes. Okay, good. So then we're on theme. Continue. Delightful. Dean Pitchford, who's the lyricist of this flop of all flops, he was also at this point of time working on lyrics for a funny new film on the scene called Footloose. So Shut up. What? No, so Footloose had just come out as well. And about like this, and because Footloose is based on real events. Sure. Yeah, and I'm wildly interested because, as far as I know, uh, Footloose is a jukebox musical. And this did end up becoming a thing that his name is attached to, so I can't wait to cover that show to figure out what this is. So we're going to hearken back to this episode of Carrie when we go there, because I'm like, wait, this is the connection. (laughs) Okay, but then we also have to take note of a man by the name of Sam Cohn. Uh, just another Broadway producer, but he has every connection under the sun in this sort of acting world. Okay. Uh, then we have to worry about Barry and Fran Weisler, who then young, now acclaimed Broadway producers. Terry Hans is a director connected to the Royal Shakespeare Company. Now, we must remember the Royal Shakespeare Company because this will play a major factor later. And also, <laughs> finally, enter in our lovely German. Now, I'm not going to... <laughs> oh, wait. Wait, wait. Insert the lovely jerk. Okay. I don't know where you're going with this, but this is, I feel like I'm in Oz. I'm not blaming Germany for the flop of all flops, but uh, Germany did no favors to Carrie and should be blamed entirely for the failure of Carrie the musical. For you who might be there, this is not you. No, 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 uh, no. This is not your fault. We don't blame you for this. Your 1970s counterpart did you dirty. So <laughs> enter in a man by the name of Frederick Kurtz. German wildcard. <clears throat> <laughs> I appreciate the title of German wildcard. <laughs> the usual story of bringing a show to Broadway. 
mid 70s uh, to what is now the mid 80s. Usual story. Our main three people. This was also a time of you had to fax entire manuscripts over uh, by coastalness. They were working not only in New York, they were working from L.A. So you had to figure out how to use technology to your benefit. It was a long, laborious process that took about seven years just on that front of revisions and edits. In 1984, they decided the only way we're going to know if we have anything is to get a workshop going. Sure. See if what we have created actually has legs. You might recognize this name. Uh, A workshop hosted in New York by one Michael Bennett, who uh, is associated with A Chorus Line, major director and producer there. Whoa! uh, Decided to sort of direct this one little tiny workshop. And then his plethora of Broadway connections to see if it could get on its feet uh, joined in. They all agreed it was amazing. Everyone who would come, all of the people who were invited, the people involved in this process were like, yo, this is going to be the next thing. And little did they know, insert the tone of the narrator. (laughs) This was potentially that last hint of fuzzy warm feelings because it's all downhill from here. more that meets the eye. Like things I dream and things I feel There's more to me than I And cause I shine in quiet ways I'm someone you don't recognize I'm a diamond in the rough A dreamer in disguise Now they needed an actual director. Michael Bennett was not going to take on this whole thing. They, using all their connections, uh, because this workshop had created a lot of buzz, people were wanting to come at them and they wanted to know what this was. (laughs) First one to come in there is a guy by the name of Mike Nichols. He has done a lot of film and Broadway direction, known for heavier things such as The Graduate. He ended up not wanting it. Um, He thought this was actually an insane idea. A one Mr. Bob Fosse was next brought in i'm sorry <laughs> i think this might have been the thing that it needed fossey loves dark things he loves that undertone think of cabaret cabaret I'm... on its surface is not a very commercialized musical yet he made it one and he's very good at taking film and putting it onto a stage and with his name attached to it as him being the number one person on broadway on the scene right now it would have gone off so it could have been a very different story for the life of carrie the musical had fossey actually taken this on he wanted it that's so weird okay he was interested now fossey is pitching what he would do with this he would have absolutely fossified it. Of okay. course. Of course he would have. He wanted to turn it darker and he wanted to turn it into all of the fossy jazz handness that <laughs> he do. <laughs> Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Clearly, the creative team and Fossey were not on the same terms with this. No. No. This did not mesh. I think that was maybe the first nail in the coffin. Ooh, we. <gasps> Oh my, they split because of artistic differences. (laughs) Nice connection. That was great. Thank you. Nearly every A-list director showed up and listened to what was this recording of their workshop. No one was a good fit or they didn't see eye to eye or they just 
ha- were like, what are you doing? This is not real. Okay. Enter in Terry Hans. <laughs> Hello, Hans. He was affiliated with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And he uh, iambic pentametered his way into their hearts with the pros of what he would do with the material. <laughs> Stop. Uh. Yep. He claims he was approached with dozens of shows since he came into town, and this is the one that he wants to do. So we're setting the scene of this avalanche. Delightful. So the Royal Shakespeare Company sometimes try to attach themselves to uh, upcoming productions. At this point, they had attached themselves to the success of what was Les Miserables. And they wanted another hit. I think we briefly mentioned them uh, in our coverage of Les Miserables because of the divvying up of residuals and things between folks like Cameron McIntosh, who was the producer of that. Mm -hmm. um, Return on investment was pretty skimpy. Like they may not even have made back what they had done for that investment. So they wanted to sort of find their own thing that Mm -hmm. they could sink their teeth into. The benefit of using the Royal Shakespeare Company, they're government funded. So... They don't need to return the money once invested into something. Uh, loopholes. Gotta find the loopholes. Oh my god. So this was a sneaky way sort of to get free money and not necessarily have to pay back your investors on it. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, some other people who had hopped on board, I had mentioned them, uh, Barry and Fran Weisler. They were very invested in the show, not only monetarily for five million, they were very interested in what the show could be. They wanted a hip new musical on the scene. Everything was changing. Cats has now gone up. You know, it's creating this new thing besides the Fred Astaire, sure. uh, Zingfeld Follies idea of what uh, Broadway is. Like mm-hmm. mega musicals are the new thing. The Weislers took Hans aside and said, Ugh, we are so excited about the show. Let's make it something fun. Think Grease. Fame is there at this point. We have producers from there. So we were like, okay, cool. Let's talk. Like, we're in high school. We Uh need to create the world that they're living. And it was like, okay, cool. Let's think Greece. Greece is not a Greece and Fosse in Germany. Like the it sounds like all the wrong answers on a baking test. I'm about to throw you for a loop here. No! Hans was suddenly so inspired, he created a whole new concept and then presented it. To the Weisler's surprise, it was a blank, stripped-away stage with white togas and scrunchies as costumes. Weisler replied in horror, Not the country, the musical, you idiot! Oh my god, no! Not the country, the musical, you idiot! And they immediately withdrew their funding. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and so you should. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Clearly, they were not going to see eye to eye, and this was not real. (laughs) Oh my god, it's not real. Who in their fucking right mind, when you hear Greece, you think of the country? Your neighbors are a lovely (laughs) country. Called Greece. <laughs> they thought of their neighbors. <laughs> okay, that's about the greatest moment I think of my entire life. That is literally <laughs> the comedic moment where they walk out and and it it 
it is that way. And it's just like, then you watch all the, do- like in a film, all the dominoes just like start falling and then it like goes to the end. It's just like, oh my right. God. For years, you look, you look at someone passing by. And then one day you see her. One day you finally see her. My God, she shook. And she looked me in the eye I'd never seen her angry I hate I made her angry She, she's always been there. The oh. building of this entire musical needs to be its own film. It's Catch Me If You Can meets Waiting for Guffman. Oh my God, that's a mashup. Let's go. <laughs> But because they have RSC sort of in their pocket, um, they had another producer to come in. And this is this Frederick Kurtz. Okay. Uh, so our wild card German. <laughs> our German. Sorry, that's still so funny to me. Yes. So Terry Hans and Frederick Kurtz, they know nothing about the American high school system, are now in charge of this uh, major show. Meanwhile, we have a creative team who's very now invested in this sort of Grecian style. Uh <laughs> type of Carrie musical. No. Meanwhile, there's this idea of every set at this point of time has its iconic thing. So we have cats with the tire. We have a phantom with the chandelier. uh, Starlight Express with the bridge. If if I were to tell you, when you think of Carrie... What, what what would you throw out as as like the thing that I'm, should be it, what it's known for, right? I mean, the banner at the prom, like it, the, the prom setting. Cool. How about a staircase? <laughs> um, not a, mm-mm. What? Now with the revising and we have the Weislers gone, we're getting rid of GRE. A-S-E, and we're really leaning into this abstraction thing. Uh, togas are gone, but people are still in no. paired back white clothing. Uh, and then we've now consolidated our set into what is a wall, a chair, a trap door, and you're still in a big white box. Meanwhile, we have casting going on. <laughs> so we have one very young Lindsay Hatley. She has her own, own sort of fun story. She was young, 16. She piped on so much makeup, she made herself look 30 walking into this audition space. Babe. They like what they're seeing after, they like what they're seeing after like 600 people have already come in an audition. Sure. And she's the one who finally sparks something within them that goes, hi. They see through it. They go, will you please go wipe off your makeup so we can see how you actually look (gasps) on the side. And on her 17th birthday, they actually cast her. So Lindsay Hatley is now fated to be part of this production. The funny thing is she sort of has this protection around her in all of the lore of the flopness that this musical is. No one is blaming her. She actually delivers quite well. So mm-hmm. let's just remember that. We always blame the directorial team and the people around. It's not the performers. Correct. Unless it is because they were so awful. Yeah. But those are near and far between. Yes. 
Lindsay Hatley is not one of those. Also, we have to talk about Betty Buckley, who was the original gym teacher in this film. Mm -hmm. She was being looked at as uh, our Margaret White, and she was actually the only one that the creative team had really been wanting. Interesting. Uh, When contacted that said that they were turning this into a musical, she said, why? <laughs> Sis sees through the through the red tape. She's like, I don't think so, but okay. And that was that. She was done. <laughs> <laughs> and she was done. So they pivoted. Uh, Barbara Cook is the next one here. She had done some Broadway, won some awards, but she hated the idea that she wasn't going to be the young ingenue. Now, this is this classic tale. She actually hadn't even acted for 17 years and was no longer ingenue status. So it took her some convincing, we'll say, how Mm -hmm. you're no longer the young debutante at the ball. You are the raggedy mother asking and praying that the young daughter gets married. So... Okay took them some lofty coaxing and actually some awkward interviews with the Terry Hans who was asking her like really awkward questions. Like, are you any good? Uh, what's your work drive? Like, uh, why would we cast you? And she was having none of this. She's like, if you want to know, you can talk to my previous directors about who I am and what my work ethic is. And like walked out of the room. (laughs) I mean, when asked the question, are you good? Like that. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. So that tells you the level that this director's on. He can't be told anything. Meanwhile, they brought in Debbie Allen, whom, again, fame. Uh, (laughs) uh, Coming off of fame. She was looking for something a little more meaty uh, as the choreographer, of course. Yeah. Ah, yes. uh, Loved the idea, loved the material. She she wanted to sort of dig into what this could be. Um, Now, having watched the original uh, version now, you could superimpose mashup, remember my name, fame. Up into in is what you could do with this original. <laughs> Delightful. Okay. Because you're not, you're working with the composer and now the choreographer of this show. Yeah. So they just, they write what they know. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they didn't get grease. They got fame. So uh, <laughs> they've also taken out most of the scenes now that are connecting the songs together. So there's no context for what is going on. So it's very much more operetta. The director didn't like the scenes because he has no inference or understanding of what a high school American dynamic is. So he just didn't want to work with them or deal with them. So he cut them. Someone who smiles at you. This is no time to question why. Love can find you. Let yourself go, give someone half a chance, maybe he's waiting just for you, you never know. Now, because we're working with RSC money, they decided to do another loophole. Uh, They decide to try out and open in Stratford, like a preview would be, like in Boston or D.C. or some Chicago, somewhere. Sure. Um, Working the system. And then just say that they were going to go on tour (laughs) that happens to be Broadway. Yeah. (laughs) The more you keep talking, the more... (laughs) 
the longer you talk, the more confused I get about where we are. It sounds like somebody's acid dream of like wanting to be a Broadway whatever. And we're just inserting random things, shaking it up in a cocktail shaker and hoping it comes out a good cocktail. It is approximately 1985, and we are about two months from opening. <laughs> Fantastic. I have a timeline. Okay, let's continue. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Anyway, so sorry. Yeah. Move on. And then, yeah. and then his brain stopped. He's like, uh, oh, what? Yeah. Are you getting a nosebleed so, yeah. too, Stephen? <laughs> I, I think I'm having my time of the month. Ow, ow, ow. <laughs> Ouch. I told you, I, th- this history man <laughs> this is I a told you. lot but so we're finally slotted to open in stratford 16 stratford. previews before quote touring to broadway at this point the creative team can't really fix anything anymore they're trying to meet deadlines opening night is coming it's not about making art anymore it's about the process of getting a show up sure opening night it is lord <laughs> that Barbara Cook left our lovely director a note and an axe as a gift, reading, you deserve this after butchering this show. What a f- baller way to leave. Oh! Yeah. So the first preview in Stratford wasn't good. Mixed reviews. Cook almost died. The one wall nearly decapitated her <gasps> by accident. After this preview run and now fearing for her life, Cook left the show. Oh my God. Enter Betty Buckley again, who Betty. is called in a rage panic. And because of her closeness to the material, she was begged and pleaded to come. So she reluctantly did and made the transition <laughs> to Broadway. Oh my God. It's Opening cursed. night. The final notes happen. No. Silence. <gasps> Followed by booze <laughs> oh because the staircase comes down from the ceiling and both her and mommy go up to heaven because <laughs> that needs to be the symbol of this show oh my god shut up seriously really yeah because that's the big draw of this show is the staircase no what uh... so buckley and hatley are sitting there getting booed screw this and so they get up and they walk forward to like do whatever they do hear some cheers that are coming, Mm. realizing it's not all booze. So it's about 50-50. Evil Dead was the first sort of to market blood and interaction with a cast. This was the first known destination musical to see a spectacle of how awful a show could be. Oh, no. Laughs are all in the wrong place throughout the run, the opening weekend. uh, It's continuing to be about a 50-50 in a... Quick transition. The marketing team says, we're going to use it. Market this as such. Just like Carrie. It's polarizing. You're going to have feelings about it. Come see for yourself. Wow. And this was going to work. This like people were picking this up and it was tickets were selling. Sure. The whole cast and crew were celebrating with promises to keep tweaking the material to where they're not just going to get booed and laughed at anymore. They're eventually going to turn into something great. Unknown to them, Kurtz the major producer now with the most investment with the Royal Shakespeare Company, is ashamed. He doesn't know how to take bad reviews or how to fix this material. He leaves this this opening weekend-ness, hops on a plane back to Germany, 
and is never heard from by the creative team again. Shut he up. shuts down. He shuts down all accounts, all LLCs, and all operations and is never heard from again by this creative team. They have no more funding. They have no more backing. They cannot pay their actors except the bonds that are left. Thank God to the RSC to pay their actors. So... Carrie is burning at the prom with the doors locked and they are forced to close only after five performances of the world's first horror musical. There's something that Carrie White will just have to learn. If she plays with fire, she's gonna get burned. I want her to pay up for all that she cost me and make her good and sorry that she ever crossed me. You gotta help me. What do you mean both? Me? What do you need me for? Revenge, Billy. And you're gonna help me get it. By the time we're done with her, that toad's not gonna know what hit her. You I'm sorry. The the German wild card ever? Not by this creative team. First of all, super, super sad that that is how it ended. But secondly, what a freaking story. <gasps> That wow. I'm I'm legitimately I think I have goosebumps right now. Like I am legitimately that itself sounds like a horror story. Just wrapping it up. Out of the ashes 30 years later. The creative team comes back together in 2012 and says maybe we should revisit this. This feels somewhat current. Like we're in a post Mean Girls world now. Heathers had come in and out on the scene. Yeah. And we 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 were like, we think there's a space for this. So they mount a revised production. The scenes were put back in <laughs> into the show wow. for the songs to make sense. Uh, and then they optioned it out for regional and high school productions. So that is where this show now lives. And it has had a major resurgence because of the hit Netflix drama Riverdale, mm -hmm. who featured it heavily in their season one as the musical. Of course they did. Of, of the uh, school year, so. Oh my God. You know, sometimes coming through adversity leads <laughs> to really beautiful things, but like just the, it, it was like it was a sea of red flags and everybody was just wearing rose colored glasses. So they all just looked like flags. Well, I, I'm absolutely feel very disoriented. I feel, ab I feel every single feeling. I don't know what to do now. So my German wild card, will you, uh, what, what next? My God, what do we do with that? Oh, does want to do a critics review? Yeah, no, yeah. that's probably more Swedish. That, so that's so that's Danka. That's okay. <laughs> so. Um, I mean, I feel like we'll just we'll take it. Opening night. It's opening night. So tonight's review does come courtesy of the LA Times. This review was posted two days after Carrie hit Broadway. Hands across the sea are fine, but eyebrows went up when it was announced that a new Broadway musical, Carrie, would rehearse and try out at the Royal Shakespeare Company's Stratford Theater. Nor did the English critics find it much of a show. Carrie opened Thursday on Broadway, again to unraves. 
based on Stephen King's horror story about a high school wallflower who turns nasty and staged by the RSC's Terry Hans, the show did impress Clive Barnes of the New York Post. Barnes found it, quote, strong, effective, and remarkably coherent. Terrific total theater. A schematic morality play replete with the forces of evil to say nothing of a cathartic finale of biblical proportions. The other reviews went from lukewarm to stone cold. Frank Rich of the New York Times said that while the movie version of Carrie provided, quote, scary, funny, and sexy pulp entertainment, the stage version, book by Larry Cohen, songs by Michael Gore and Dean Pitchford, dances by Debbie Allen, provided none of the above. Howard Kissel of the Daily News was reminded of watching two and a half hours of MTV videos, complete with, quote, gratuitous vulgarity. Michael Kucharwa of the Associated Press praised two performers, the veteran Betty Buckley as Carrie's mom, Barbara Cook left the role after Stratford, and newcomer Lindsay... (laughs) Yes, she did. Oh, my God. (laughs) Knowing now what that is, my God, that just hurts my brain. That hurts my brain. And newcomer Lindsay Hatley as Carrie. As for the show itself, Kucharwa found that it vacillated, quote, between seriousness and schlock, with too much emphasis on the former. Quote, this show would need the lunacy of a Charles Ludlum to cut through King's hooey and psychobabble. When it, what it gets from director Terry Hans is a sobriety that is often unintentionally funny. Maybe American musicals should have American directors and try out in Boston. Oof. <laughs> it's Oof. so shady. Oh, <laughs> I know. That hurts my brain also a little bit. I, uh, oh man, it, again, it just, when you have too many cooks in the kitchen and you've got everybody trying to put things together to make the dish what it is, sometimes it just gets to the it passes the point of no return and you cannot change it once it has been done. And this, that whole history, boo-boo. Wow. Just wow. You know, I've had, I've come up against histories that were difficult. That one was a ride. That was a lot. I had, I had to deep dive a lot of crap for that one. That was a lot. Yeah. I thank you for doing the deep, this dive into the darkest holes because that was I mean, a lot what it is now the 2012 revised version and that's the one we're going to be speaking of because that's the one that's available mm-hmm. nowadays for for viewing pleasure mm-hmm. i think i give it more grace because of a lot of it and sure. but, but it's not that i don't see its glaring flaws <laughs> Um, but there's a moment where I go, oh, I can see this because they had to re-add this back in. Oh, it's unclear here because da da da. And so, uh, I, I'm, I'm stuck in this weird realm of, well, it wasn't the original show with a freaking staircase. So there's that. So there's that. What is your experience with this show? Well, uh, I don't really have experience with the stage production. I mean, I have read the source material and I am familiar with um, the story itself. And I am a huge fan of Stephen King. So it was actually, funny enough, it was one of the first novels that um, the uh, Phantom gave to me when we were first dating. Uh, And he was like, I think that you should read this. And I did, I read it while I was working at the movie theater. And I would read it like up in the the tech booth when I was like threading movies and stuff. I've loved the story for a long time. And I, um, of course, have seen 
the film and I saw the original film and then um, I've seen the remake uh, that they had with Chloe Grace Moritz. Um, but I have never actually seen this musical, nor have I heard music from it. Normally with these shows, like some uh, one of those songs is on a Spotify list somewhere or I would have heard the music somewhere. I had not heard one single iota of this show until you shared it with me. My experience is very more on the back end than it is on the actual production side. Uh, actually, the first time I had ever heard that this was even a musical, because, you know, like you, like, of course, I've seen the original film, which, by the way, is really weird. I don't... 70s was a wild in time, y'all. It really I, was. Know, it was a wild time. Softcore porn, and it's just boobies everywhere and so just note that always and then even in this original broadway production they had women full full nudity oh baby young women full nude in this elevated shower situation and uh it was it was something my actual experience with what this now 2012 Carrie musical would be is actually from our mutual friend Errol who uh, guested on Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. He's obsessed with this musical and he would love to mount this at some point and he kept he keeps like feeding me little things from this musical and I'm like dude I don't this is not my bag. This is not the thing I do. So then do I tell so, him that I hated this show? <laughs> I know. I was like, oh yeah, you need to tell him that you hate this show. Oh That'll my be God. A fun convo. That'll test our the limits of our friendship. It'll be fine. Uh, our friend Errol has been the one who has introduced me to this one because he wants to mount it and he keeps trying to get me involved. <laughs> I, I am Betty Buckley going, why? <laughs> mm, why? Click. <laughs> I've been invited to I never dreamed that I could go When he first asked and I said no He asked me twice He asked me twice And so I finally told him yes I thought if I could make my dress I might look nice I might look nice I know I'm not like all the others Sometimes I dream in colors Sometimes I even think I'm lovely Nobody feels the things that I do, Mama, please. I'm just not like you, baby. I'll find someone to love me. I hate to call it like the trailblazer, right? But it was. It was in many ways. It was the world's first horror musical, Mm -hmm. so to speak. But... I'm noticing this trend now with musicals, especially ones that, you know, especially a youth demographic clings on to. It's broody, number one, right? Mm -hmm. It's a notice me situation. Don't make waves. uh, Just get through the day. Um, And also don't withhold information from me. I'm not just a dumb teenager, that sort of thing. So, like, Carrie, the song Carrie is Say My Name Mm -hmm. in so many ways, the way what Lydia is calling out for in Beetlejuice. The world, according to Chris, is Heather Chandler's motto in everything. Like, um, don't withhold valuable sexual information. Uh, That seems to ring a bell from Spring Awakening. Uh, Hell yeah, absolutely. So it yeah, so it really doesn't surprise me that this has become like a teenage favorite. Like teens have really glommed on to this because they see themselves in not well, maybe not these characters per se, but this overall tone of what this musical is. What do we think about this? Was this a trailblazing sort of musical? Because it seems to have sparked the roots of what modern teenage musicals are today. 
I wouldn't necessarily say it was a trailblazing musical by any means. Yes, are there elements of it that kicked off, or one could say kicked off other things? We have to remember, though, like something like Spring Awakening was in previews, I think, or they were workshopping it back in 2008, wasn't it? I mean, it was like, Mm -hmm. it was early, early on. So like, I mean, while this was in the, you know, 80s, with a lot of these musicals that we talk about, it just, like you said, it was before its time. And I don't think that it was, it had the right audiences or the right people to see it for what it was. So all people looked at it it for was the spectacle of what it became. Like it was never about its potential. It was about, oh my God, look at how stupid this thing is. I mean, yeah. How do you go from a white Christmas situation into this blank white box? Seriously though. Yeah. And like, how can, you know, I mean, I understand pushing boundaries and some of the greatest musicals of all time have been boundary pushing things, but I think there's a difference between your, when you're pushing a boundary because you know that the material is good and that like, I mean, I guess good is a relative term. It is something that either, you know, speaks a message or it falls within like current events of the society that you're in or, you know, what have you. But like this one in particular just seemed like it was, it was out in left field from the very beginning. And every time somebody tried to course correct it, it just went further and further into left field. And yeah, some of those musicals can be cult classics like Evil Dead, but I mean, was it trailblazing? I don't think so. Maybe elements of it were, but I don't think the entirety of the musical itself was a trailblazing item. It was the things like talking about teens and talking about sexual positivity and like all of those things that became elements of now what we see as popular shows. But Carrie the musical, I don't think changed. I mean, it. I don't think it changed Broadway. Film had taken over a lot of the the brunt of the changes. Yeah. And it was one of the first ones that was really trying to make it on a Broadway stage mm-hmm. from that sort of time. And I think that's what where this is. And maybe that's where I'm getting like this trailblazing idea. But I to my knowledge, like we, you know, because we do, we do have the greases, G-R-E-A-S-E <laughs> of the time. I like that we have to about t- the teenage condition. With this show, we have to. Um, we have to clarify which grease we're talking about. <laughs> oh my God. But you know, cause, cause we have the teenage experience. We also have like bye bye birdie right at this point. And uh, John Waters had hairspray out. So mm-hmm. we had these sort of anti social teen pop culture things going around, but I don't think it was seen on Broadway. And so I do think this was too jarring of a moment. I'm going to flip this for you. Do you think Carrie is a relevant show to put on now? Oh, well, see, that's a I, that's a very different question because, like, there are things about the musical that are still relevant today and in the era of things like Heather's, right? We, we had a resurgence of that with this musical that was on the West End, right, about teenagers mm-hmm. in high school and what happens conforming to what people think you should be and popularity versus being yourself. And there are a lot of universal themes. So, I mean, like... Uh, would it, would I say it is more applicable today? Probably, because we've got, 
not only this um, a bigger acceptance of the horror genre in general, like we've got shows on Netflix, we've got musicals, we've got plays, like we've got all these things that are centered around horror that it um, would be more palatable today. And we have things like, you know, we still deal with, you know, children getting bullied, g- women not knowing what's going on with their bodies and not being like given an environment, a safe environment in which to learn about this. Um, so, I mean, yeah, if if they tried again, I mean, there's a possibility that you could totally get a different vibe now that we've grown, you know, what, tw- almost 20 years, you know, in the, or t- I, uh, I mean, yeah, 20, 25 years since it first went on Broadway in 88. Like, I mean, yeah, but there are, there would have to be some absolute changes to the to the the score and the book itself to be able to actually like make it on Broadway. I think in the production that we watched, they really were they were it was modern day. They were they had cell phones in their hands. They yeah. were they were doing um, stuff like this. It was semi I to my knowledge what we watched. I didn't want to watch like a super professional whatever production. Yeah. I wanted to see what this would feel like in the hands of this regional production. So yeah. as far as I know, this was a semi-professional regional, almost high school production, but they had like Alice Ripley playing Miss Gardner, who's like a big Broadway name. So they brought in some heavy hitters. There were just certain things that didn't hit and I could feel the datedness overall of the show. Yeah. I could see the writing just sort of struggling and eating itself, which <laughs> became hard. <laughs> And but then knowing the history, I went, well, because they added this back in really randomly. And as far as like service to something, it's pretty much script straight from the film. Mm -hmm. Like I watched the film and then straight into this musical and it was pretty much word for word. And they really did give me the Easter egg nuggets that, you know, that I look for. Mm -hmm. And and it gave me all of those. So I went, okay, I'm giving it that pass at least. But as far as what we're given in a script doesn't lend itself to the material Mm-mm. very well. Mm-mm. And much like we said, even with this dis- character description of this counselor, like we don't get a lot of story as to why is Chris such a <laughs> like, God damn. Oh, so spicy with the language. Ah, like Jesus Christ, she she's the one with the devil that needs a crucifix placed on her forehead. I mean, spit pea soup out of that. Oh my God! Yeah, she comes out of the gate like just so hot, so quickly, and it's like it's your classic mean girl that she's just trying to find a reason to be mean. But it's like God. Even Sue at one point is like Jesus Christ, Chris, shut up! It's not always about you. And it's like yes. He never dreamed that I could go. Asked and I said no. He asked me twice. When Tommy asked me, he asked me of twice. I told him yes. Now he'll never know, I guess, how I might have looked in my blue dress. I might have looked into that sue and chris because speaking of chris i think we're supposed to feel sorry for her for like 
a minute that maybe she doesn't have a good home life. And she talks about her dad, her dad's something. And there's this one moment of vulnerability at the end after the world, according to Chris. And it's the slow version moment of the world, according to Chris. And then she, she sings her woes of like, my life is so hard. And Boo. I just have to put up a wall. Uh. And I'm just a shitty just because I have to be and I'm going there are unlikable characters and this one is in the top like three for me that I've ever seen uh I literally do not feel sorry for her at any moment of this show not one I want Carrie to like choke her longer yes not every character needs to have a redemption arc not every character needs to have your sympathy and like sometimes characters are just bad and that's okay for them to be bad. It just felt like she was bad and there was no reason why she was bad to Carrie specifically. And then there was no like redemption for her. Like there was, you know, I mean, sometimes you've got a character who is, who is bad, but they're bad because they got spurned or they're bad because yeah, they've got a home life, but like at least they could have an interaction with your main protagonist. And then they work together to like give this villain or antagonist a redemption arc. Chris had none of those opportunities. She had none of that shit. She was literally being a mean girl to be a mean, you know, be a mean girl. And that was it. Yeah. Ugh, and, she no. was, and, you know, when she wasn't talking, she was giving a blowjob to her boyfriend. I do not feel for Chris one one iota of sad. Mm-mm. No, I don't. I, you know, I, I don't. Because I think, you know, and it would be so easy of a fix in the script too. just something, just a quick little two or three sentence add in from Someone, Mm -hmm. the conversation between her and Sue about like where this origin of hate comes from. Because otherwise we just see mean girl to be mean girl and there's no reason. No. So that's hard. That's hard for me as someone who likes a full picture and full bodied characters. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's maybe a thing. But on the other side of this coin, we have Sue. And uh, I'm almost annoyed at her goody goodiness. And I, Oh, okay. I don't buy it. I don't buy that you would just give no. up your boyfriends to go to prom. Not like, mm-mm. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. I don't believe it. Uh-uh. What are your thoughts on Sue? Because Sue, in my mind, is like the co-lead of this show. Even though she plays the archetype of the the redeemable character, right? You're, you're not hero, but I mean, I also don't buy into the whole, I would give my boyfriend up to a girl that I've never really, cause like, it would be different if they were like in Heather's, if they were friends, if like it was Veronica and Martha dump truck, right? Because they've known each other before Veronica got with the Heather's. Like that's one thing. The fact that we have no backstory between Sue and Carrie. And then all of a sudden Sue is like, okay, well here's my olive branch. Take Carrie to the, prom like anybody who was had two brain cells to rub together would be able to see that Carrie was kind of crushing on Tommy like I mean and also Tommy's a gorgeous boy like I mean who wouldn't do that but like the fact that she ran the risk of letting him take her to prom and then they kiss at prom is like um ma'am it seems like you just kind of opened that can of worms yourself And I feel like I 
by some of her kindness and like the moments where she's trying to be authentic and trying to apologize. But then Carrie goes, God, haven't you had enough? Like, don't you just like, can't you stop making fun of me for your own self benefit for a minute? So I don't know. It's kind of a mixed bag for me, but do I really believe it? Not all of it. I, some of it maybe, but not all. It feels like I, you know, now that you say that I, 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 I think it is so small and so in passing because I remember it popping out to me and I didn't get to write it down and I'll be damned if I'm going to watch this again. (laughs) But uh, I think it's actually in a song. So maybe one of the lyrics in the songs, I'll I'll venture around this album again and figure it out. But I think there is a lyric in the beginning of Heather's, the opening number, you know, where they say it didn't used to be this way. Mm -hmm. We you know, we didn't used to treat each other like this in kindergarten, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then something changed all of a sudden. And I think Sue has a lyric like that where she goes, why do we treat each other so bad? Because we, we don't have to there. I think there is something somewhere in there. So Mm -hmm. actually great. If you know what it is, if you happen to know, slide into my DMS at from the top underscore podcast or uh, podcast from the top at gmail.com. If you happen to know, because it probably will, keep me up at night uh if i don't know so there's that i think you hide so much you feel inside but i know deep down there's a fire burning bright from where you stand it might not be clear you shine from I think this kind of can go into our next fun little point because there is one major change that happens for women and it is that time of the month and it is a big plot driver in this show and is an original sin for uh, our mother (sighs) of all of this. I think it's also interesting to layer in that it's noted that the mother from the get believes that Carrie is like a sin child because she was created from sin. Which, yeah, in the, it's funny that you mentioned that because the, the Phantom and I actually talked about that in the book, like Margaret White is supposed to be an ugly person. Like she's like physically, she's supposed to be ugly because like she, like Carrie was conceived out of a marital rape situation. Like her, her husband wanted to have sex. She didn't. He forced himself on her and Carrie was born. So like she already knows that, you know, Carrie has come from this really evil, terrible thing and that her idea of keeping Carrie safe is to pray it away that she never you know has the the red curse of womanhood because you know once it happened to Eve or it only happened to Eve after she you know ate the apple or whatever and it's like mm-hmm. oh okay but like oh god it just it hurts every fiber of my being because growing up I knew religious people like that who literally were just like it is it is wrong for you to for you to go through this thing how in what iteration of this is prayer going to stop you from your body maturing and doing what it's biologically set to do my my disclaimer for this is you believe what you believe that's freaking great whatever gets you out of bed and takes you to bed at the end of the day that's totally fine. What I'm asking is like, how can you be so blind to the 
biological facts of humanity and more to the point that you will keep your children from knowing these things because you're you determine that it's wrong as their parent you say it's wrong for you to know this so it's better that you don't know and I won't ever teach you about that and then they go through exactly what Carrie went through being in a a high school bathroom having your first period this girl is 16 17 how in the did she only just now get her period like most girls get it at like 13 so that also says something that like because biologically like if you're not nourished properly and you're like if something's like physically happening to your body you like not having a period for that long medically there's something wrong there and that goes into a whole other thing of her mom not taking care of her physically but like it just is so infuriating to me to think that that faith alone will keep you from doing the things. It oh my god, I'm sorry. That gets me really fired up because it's like oh, yeah. I, I spent so long. I mean, luckily my household wasn't like that, but I knew people who did that, and I knew people who had like disowned their family members and their children and their and whatever because of religion. And it's like it's one of the biggest things that people fight over is that. And and clearly this was that was kind of one of the I mean you could say one of the undertones of the show is blind faith is what causes rifts and separations and all that stuff. Mm, you don't get to pray away your period, okay? Just like you don't pray away gay, you don't pray away your period. It doesn't happen. <laughs> now, this I I feel like I've read excerpts from this book and it, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like this would have been a great add-in. Um, because I seem to remember an incident when Carrie was younger where she is talking to her neighbor who happens to be sunbathing nude. So Mm -hmm. this started out sexually charged. She has a moment with her and then the mother comes and grabs her, takes her away back home. And then that night there's a hailstorm just on the house Mm -hmm. next door. Mm -hmm. And I think there has to be something at that point in the origins of this story that provide insight for the mother to go, I think my daughter's the devil. And of course she is. She was brought up from an evil. Mm -hmm. And why this is not talked about in the film or in this musical, I will never understand. Like, origins just give a lot more weight. And why this isn't part of it I don't get like, you know, I love me in origin. It's why we have a podcast. So I (laughs) why that isn't part of this story and like how it's dealt with that. Maybe she's been showing signs of this from an early on age, but the period is the thing that gave her this power or made it come to full fruition. Like I, you know, I don't know because it also gives weight to why the mother would be doing what she's doing, why she has devoted her life to God to try to protect herself from her her own soul once she dies from her evil she's committed, but yeah. also protect the evil that she has brought into this world. You know, like I feel like that adds so another layer of maybe stake 
into it all. Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because that was unfortunately another thing that the Phantom and I had talked about. This show, though, in its iteration currently, doesn't really identify or allow the characters to have stakes. Like it, it seems like the stakes are extremely low. So like we don't have it doesn't give room for things like emotional depth to breathe. Right, like the whole. I mean, the entire, like, end of the show, the finale of the show is the murder of all of these people using the gymnasium as, like, an easy-bake oven, and we're going to just, we're going to broil everybody to a crisp, right? And in in the book, and I'd also argue in the films to a degree, there is this moment where, like, you know, the, the emotional depth of this is Carrie is now finally starting to feel accepted she's at the prom she looks pretty she's talked to you know a miss gardener and she's been dancing with tommy and she's like having a little bit of camaraderie with her with this group of students now and they're like oh my god you made your dress like how cool is that and like we've got all these moments and then the bucket of blood happens and originally Carrie is supposed she leaves the gymnasium she runs away because she is trying to emotionally deal with the fact that she was literally on cloud nine and then they shit on her and it was like her brain that was where the psychotic break happens and then she makes the choice you know what screw this I'm gonna go show them what it means when you mess with the wrong person and that's why she that's why she kills everybody. And unfortunately, you've got casualties like Tommy and Miss Gardner who were nice people to her who end up in the aftermath. But in this show, that emotional currency was gone. And it was literally, we rushed through to the end because we realized we only had 15 minutes left of the show. And so it's yeah. like, we got to just get there. He'll be here at eight. He'll build you up only to watch you fall. Carry. You don't know these people, they're not your friends, Harry. They're only waiting to tear you in two. What if they like me? Just like your father, they'll leave when they're through. They might like me. They'll like me. You're such a fool! Aren't you aware how people deceive? They'll take you and break you. And I, I completely be. agree. The The prom scene to me is the major event of this. And uh, it's the thing that everyone harkens back to and thinks about when they think of Carrie. It's mm-hmm. the cover of the book. It's the poster for the film. It is the moment she gets doused in pig blood, right? Yep. And it's such a small moment in this musical that it's such a disservice so when i was watching the film i had to pause for a second and we had just entered the prom Mm -hmm. and i still had like half an hour 35 minutes left Mm -hmm. and i went wait what how is this possible we're gonna spend all this time at the prom okay cool i even in my brain i hadn't let it take up that much space because it's a major event for any teenager the prom and then the last like five to ten minutes is this moment with a mom you know (laughs) killing each other in this musical i was expecting okay so we're gonna get all the way up to act one finale i called it i called it that they were gonna do like do me this favor because that's where the big shift happens in the whole thing yep and that's act one finale but then 
It's just a speed along to the prom. And then the prom has nothing. It's like this moment of like, oh, we start to see that maybe not everyone's awful. And Tommy's trying to convince all these to convince her like, no, you can hang with all of us. See, we're not that bad people. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, quick pig's blood, quick dead. So I'm given I'm given like redemption for some of these characters. And then you kill them. And there's not even a callback moment to where the mother is resounding in her head. They're going to make fun of you. Like that could have been a song that could have been in, in the production we had, there was absolutely an upper level where the mother could have been in like ghost whiteout platform. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to make fun of you signifying the internal monologue she's having. Yep. And nope, nothing. There was no reason for her to snap. It was just, nope, dead. So the prom is what, five, ten minutes, and then done. Yeah. Like the prom in Greece is longer. Yeah. She waves. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Yeah, she waves her arms around, and then everyone's dead, and that's it. And even the moment. And then we spend 15 agonizing minutes killing each other. And I have to believe this is leftover from the Germans. Steven, that death scene between her, between Carrie and her mother is by far the worst 15 minutes in theater that I've ever seen in my life, ever. Wow. It is painful. It is stupid. It is it, it, it is self-serving. It absolutely does nothing other than make me cringe. This was like mom ceremoniously places a knife on the table. It's Chekhov's gun. We know that something's happening. And then she's like, oh, let me comfort you. And then let me just lightly stab you a little bit. It's like, and I hated it. Like there's no, the violence- it, the violence of this was downplayed. Like Carrie, in and of itself, is a so violent. So was the telekinesis. Oh my god, she floats a crucifix one time, and that's it. That is actually something I'm going to give the original Broadway production props on. Oh really? Uh, the light, the light in the shower. You get to see the sparks. Uh, you get to see the telekinetic moments happen, even when she's locked in her little prayer room. Mm-hmm. Like walls burst into fire, like all of the sudden, quick. Yeah. So there. The original Broadway did take some of these moments and elevated them to a place that gave them prominence and were more part of the story. Mm. Um, It's almost like in the modern version, if not staged right or not emphasized, they're super secondary and almost superfluous to the entire story, except that you need a way to kill all these people at the prom. Like, I have a feeling a lot of directors would just kill it if they didn't need a way for people to die at the prom. And I, but I also say to the discredit of the original Broadway production, because it was so abstract and so weird, the telekinetic moments didn't feel as like stupendous because we're already in this nether world of sorts. Yeah. I agree, because that, I mean, if you have everything in a fantastical realm, something fantastical like telekinesis loses its luster if the rest of the world is already not believable. You okay? I think so. Nervous. Me too. Whoa. We could go somewhere else and grab something to No, I want to do this. All right, then. Let's do it. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's gonna be a night we'll never forget. Carrie? Is that Carrie White? You have got to be kidding. Um, let's just touch on Tommy quick because I, his little, his little poem song, 
corner of the sky from Pippin. It's so talking about random. Birds and streams and rivers and Ugh. I let me spread my wings and find my place and it's fine. Of of any of them, he's the innocent bystander in this entire show. Oh yeah, I feel like his song was there to give him more anima because up until then he's just another face in the crowd. He's one of the guys. Like he is Sue's boyfriend. Like that is that is who you know him as. And like, you know, of course we have to give him a moment where Carrie can like fawn over him a little bit and to establish that connection of like, oh, she's developing feelings for this boy. There's no other place in the show where there's no other song that he's got. It's that. Props to that actor that we watched in the version. He had a beautiful voice, so. Oh my God, he was, that's a little predatory. (laughs) Let's move on from that real fast. If I could say, I mean, I know we're touching on Tommy, but like for me, it felt like this show couldn't pick a lane. It didn't really know, because like in one moment there was like an 80s like, big musical thing that we're doing. It was like Hairspray met Evil Dead. And like, it didn't really know what we were doing. And so like we, and then we add a little pivot in there because we've got Tommy like having this moment, this authentic moment. And then the rest of his guys are going gay. And it's like, what the, shut up. I mean, I mean, I get that that's, you know, the authentic high school experience because, you know, the, I mean, before we couldn't say gay, um, it was used as a slur because that's neat. Right. Um, but I Although don't know. Taking it back to taking it back to fame because we have the composer of fame. Uh, it's def- Tommy's song is absolutely uh, even like I think the same weird chord progressions of I want to make magic, which I forget his name. Nick, Nate. It's an end name. Uh, <laughs> the young guy that wants to be an actor. But we'll, yeah. the day we cover that, we'll we'll bring that back. Yeah. But, uh, it's it's like the same freaking, I want to make magic. Yeah. Like, it's the same thing. <laughs> and then last sort of talking point. Let's get a little sort of ethereal with this. Because, you Ooh. know, it, it, this, this show is hard. This show is difficult because it lives in its 1988 lore prominence that will never go away. And then we have this 2012 revised version that's back to closer of what it was supposed to be originally. Yeah. Overall, I think you and I are almost mixed. Like I give this a lot more passes. You're like just saying, throw it away. (laughs) It's not perfect. I don't think it is. But overall, I think the story of Carrie is still a relevant topic, even though maybe it's already done in various other ways. Because this is sort of the tone of change your personality to fit in. Mm -hmm. What if we were all just Carrie and everything was copacetic? Like, let's take it into the Heather's realm. Yeah. Like, what does the world look like if everything is just let it be? Well, you know, it kind of goes back a little bit to the conversation that we had trying to remember which show it was so if we all agree that carrie is a freak then it becomes acceptable because all of us believe the same thing whether or not it is you know the right thing to believe and miss gardner actually has a line in there somewhere that you know when carrie is like don't ban her from the prom because this is really important to her and miss gardner goes well what's right is important to me and that line really kind of like sticks out because Sometimes the thing that is right isn't the right thing. And so I don't, I feel like if we were all just Carrie and we were all copacetic and everything was acceptable and there wasn't an us versus them, it it sounds bad, but it doesn't give us 
places to grow. It doesn't give us places to learn from. It doesn't give us opportunities to admit that we were wrong or to stand up for when we are right. And although it is terrible that this group of girls traumatized this other girl who didn't know what was going on with her body, it becomes an opportunity then for an adult figure who assumed that it, you know, Carrie was just being disgusting. It gave Miss Gardner an opportunity to learn and go, oh my God, Carrie doesn't actually know what is going on. And then she became a protective mom immediately. She was like, oh my God, like, no, you're going to be okay. You're not dying. It's fine. We need those moments and those opportunities to be able to state, yes, I am wrong. Here's what I'm going to do to change. And I know not everybody's going to do that because unfortunately not everybody is, you know, as good a person as I am. Um, <laughs> that was, ugh, that was, even though it is terrible, we still need that, that division. And we need those proving grounds to be able to kind of figure out who it is that we really are. Because if you just are accepting of everything, then that really means that you have no boundaries. And it means that you don't have things that you stand for and things that you won't compromise for like this idea of right and wrong like it goes back to like to me what the core of this show is too and it's like religious roots of this mother-daughter dynamic right and wrong heaven and hell what will happen to your soul if are you do you want to burn for eternity or like be on a cloud floating like so (laughs) right and wrong is a slippery slope and we all come in with an idea of what is right and what is wrong and when you go head to head, toe to toe, sometimes you are forced to look at things from a different perspective. And that's, uh, it's essentially what high school is. You're in this melting pot of rights and wrongs and craziness and hormones. And on uh, of all of it, like, what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. How, how do you find yourself through the weeds and the craziness? And Carrie is this weird, perfect synergy that only Stephen King... <laughs> could try to tackle mm-hmm. of this crazy horrific time in this way and i i just find it superbly interesting of anything this would be a musical i am along the lines of betty buckley Norma. why what are you doing uh, sue hi i didn't expect to see you here tonight oh god you're underdressed what are you up to uh, nothing what's going on Stop and chat, but I'm on official ballot duty. But stick around, Sue. It's gonna be the best prom night ever. Strong and weak points of Carrie the musical. Uh, what's what, what would be a strong point for you in this show? It's really hard, Stephen, because I just I tried so hard to find something. I really did. Like the, I. I tried not to shit on this musical because I'm, you know, the whole point of our podcast is to take the things that are good and bad and indifferent and we have to look at them through a critical lens and we have to defend the stuff we like and we have to, you know, try to defend the stuff we don't like. But I found it so difficult to even find something redeeming about this show because from the beginning, I was just confused. Like it was, it was hard for me because I know the source material so well and I know where this should go and what moments need weight or what should have weight based on the the book that it just it felt like it did a disservice to the story of Carrie. So unfortunately, I don't know if I can give you a strong point of the show. I can give you a weak point of the show, 
but it was it was really hard for me and i'm really sorry i don't have one for you interesting some of these songs for me are the strong point they allow for great emotional performances to be the vehicle Mm -hmm. for a performer that's where i'm going to say my strong points are with this show so i think the original creative team had something the the thing that they wanted to originally market and produce and put out into the world was probably something better than what we even now have Mm -hmm. the the music to this when i sit down and listen to it by itself is actually pretty good like Mm -hmm. i i don't i don't have a problem listening to this stem to stern like uh, on in the cast album sure but where where i have the issue is is when i plop it into this musical (laughs) and i have to see it in action yeah so i yeah that that would be that the weak point for me absolutely is the book it is the the issue is i don't understand the choices that they made in the characters and why they took them in these directions when not only do we have a book to reference we have a film to reference and it's like there are just so easy fixes to my mind that can should be done for stage 101 that just didn't happen Boiling everything down, um, the weak point for me is they didn't understand what the emotional underpinnings of the story actually are. Um, Like I said earlier, this story is a tragedy. Carrie is a pure person that is being pushed to the edge of her rope, her sanity, her, you know, like all of all of those things. And it, it, this, this musical doesn't know what it wants to be like in, in one iteration or like in one moment, it's a hairspray musical. The next moment it's evil dead. The next moment after that, it's like, you know, proof. It's just like, it is confusing. And you know, the core of this story is it's a harmless prank, right? That escalates into the murder of countless people because you, you messed with the wrong person. And, you know, the, the anecdote of that is, you know, you have to be careful, you know, you don't play with fire if you don't want to get burned, you know, but you don't, do you, how do you know you're playing with fire if it doesn't identify as fire? Right. So it just, there, it has potential if it went back through more workshopping, more rewrites, something, if it gave itself an actual tone for this is, you know, we're going to make this a campy musical like Evil Dead. And we are leaning into the abstract and the camp, the G-R-E-E-C-E of it all, right? The grease. (laughs) We're going to do that. And if we know that we are making fun of ourselves, fine. Evil Dead knew they were doing that and everybody loves it because that's what Evil Dead is. Carrie doesn't do that. Carrie is an authentic story that is now being made fun of. And it's like, if you want it to be authentic, you gotta, you gotta pick a tone. I would so pay money to see a Grecian version <laughs> of this show. I would. I would absolutely want to know. There's something about Greece, G-R-E-E-C-E, that brings us back to like human roots right yeah how cool would it be to to do a a grecian as in the people version of this in the white togas and then have the red blood i mean visually it would be stunning yeah oh yeah i I think there's something that german wild card he knew something (laughs) he knew something (laughs) doesn't anybody ever get it
ask this of you. What, what is a favorite song of this show? I think the song Carrie, sung by Carrie, that, is actually it. That was my choice. Like, yeah. yeah. It, what does that say, though? I mean... <laughs> That's like the one song. And it's also like the third song in the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I, I had mean, to do a clo- like an upper echelons, like a close second... I mean, I would most likely say I liked You Shine because that was a kind of a cute moment between Sue and Tommy was kind of nice. and It was good. So that would be another one because it just kind of seems like their, you know, moment. But I, as much as as funny as it is of Tommy's song, uh, Dreamer in Disguise, when he's singing his poem, it, it is pretty. Um, it's I'm just like, I've heard this in every other every other young man it's just pippin it is pippin i'm like it's it's just the same one sometimes the song any of the songs where the mom and daughter get to sing together the dissonance and her holy her holy vibrato versus the young sort of pop sound which is what they wanted when they were building it i i do get that and sometimes it works really really well for me so even though they can drag on a little bit, it is pretty. So I will give shout outs to that. Yeah. Absolutely. Things I would cut. <laughs> I think about half these songs could be cut oh. and just sort of reworked. I, I don't, I don't even know if I like, it's just hard because, and again, it's one of those things where like, I don't want, I don't want to shit on this musical. I, I think this is, this is probably someone's favorite thing ever. Yeah. Like our friend Errol, but we, <laughs> I can't tell him. He can never listen to this episode. Never. I know. I just feel like we have so many iterations of this show now that this has sort of taken the back seat to those. Yeah. In that way. And I'm like, Baby, don't cry now. No more tears. Mama will save you from all your fears. lullaby now. Mama is here, Carrie. Always remember that I love you. My love is so deep, my Carrie. Smile at the angels up above you. And sleep, baby, sleep. Oh my gosh, Mary. You are prom queen. <gasps> oh my god! Why don't you just go take a step up right here on this table? Pay no mind to oh. the bucket swinging above your head. Uh, okay. All will be revealed in a little bit. But um, I think we should start some questions for table read. It's my favorite part. You'll see. They almost all know how to read. The homeless woman. From Sweeney Todd walks in. Mischief. 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 And out. Uh, Tommy. Or uh, Tommy. Jesus Christ. Toby, throw the old woman out. <laughs> no, you can ask Tommy to throw the old woman out. That's fine. Fantastic. I am. I really want to see. I. It has taken every ounce of my energy to not buy a ticket to go see Aaron Tveit and Sutton Foster in this show. I can't even talk about it. I'm my nipples are getting hard just thinking about it. So we need to move on. So let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. All right. Questions for table read, uh, run through a series of tests. Uh, each show, our first major one, 
women does carry past the test of women. This is really hard because like you have so many archetypes of women in this show. So I think it's about a 50, 50 split, right? Because we've got like Miss Gardner is a wonderfully portrayed character. Like she's loving, she's maternal, she's supportive. She's authoritarian. Like she's, she's everything that you would hope that like a, you know, a mom figure would be. And then you've got, you know, Carrie who is like innocent and pure, pure in that she is, you know, she's the victim of being bullied and, gets pushed to her limit and she kind of goes into a fugue state and then wakes up and goes, Oh my God, I killed all these people. But then you've also got like the Chris's and the Margaret's and the Sue's who are like the archetypes of either fake or bad women. And I yeah, mean, it's Sue's a half the only and half. One that really gets the arc, like the yeah. sort of character growth and change. Yeah. So yeah, that's weird. And then she ends up being the narrator and the only one that survives. So oh my it's God, like, I know. Okay, cool. So <laughs> neat. I don't know. It is sort of a 50-50. I don't know if they're portrayed the best, but... You know, it creates good theater. It I does. Guess, yeah. Oh, yeah. To, <laughs> to, you know, have all these characters. Great roles for women. There's like oh. five roles in this show you want. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. I mean, it would still be a good resume builder if you said that you were Margaret White or if you were, you know, oh, yeah. like Chris. Like, I mean, you could still say that, that. Yeah, that'll build your resume for sure. How about race? Well, I mean, this show doesn't call for anything specific. I mean, we are set in the period of the 1970s, so I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility to have different people of color or different, you know. I know know in the original Broadway show, I was seeing a lot of mix of everything, too, so. I mean, it's absolutely a malleable casting that you could make pretty much any person anything, I would say. And how about representation? I mean, there's no there's no queerness really in this show. A lot of them are like cis no. straight folks. So there's there's uh what's his ass? Billy, Chris's boyfriend, has a gross line in the show that says, Yeah, this one nerd guy, because he's going off about how he can't pass a test, but mm-hmm. everyone else in the class can. Yeah. Like, yeah, this one he was clearly queer, so I punched him in the face and took, you know, took that out on him or whatever and then randomly some other ensemble member goes up well why don't you just ask me to dance (laughs) i don't know well i was just joking yeah and were you were you joking (laughs) no because i mean that that's also the the if this is set in the 1970s kind of like what we talked about in in a couple musicals ago like or uh i guess well, not, not fun home. Well, maybe fun home. Um, but if that is just the time of the world. Like, we're coming off of the free love in the 60s, and so we're kind of going back to being repressed in the 70s. And, like, you know, yeah. queerness is something that you you don't openly really talk about because if you do, you get ridiculed for it. And in this universe where everybody is dying for acceptance, like, you would never paint yourself into a corner that you couldn't get out of. Would this story hold up without music? I mean... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. It's a book. Yes. It's a film. Yes. It's a film but twice over. <laughs> three times. Three times. Uh, and with sequels. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. But more so, would we go and watch just a play? Yeah, I would, because I'm a huge fan of the story, so I'd like to see what it, what how they would translate it from page to stage. Yeah. Yeah. This would be a little heavy uh, for me. This wouldn't be my my regular go-to, but I might be interested because I know the source. Yeah. If I ply you with drinks before we go, then I'll take you. Was that even a question? No, but I just like to ask it for funsies. (laughs) (laughs) 
could this change an era, time, and decade? No. I I think it can. Oh, really? I think so, because we watched it go from a Grecian era time uh... into a firmly 80s time, and the one we watched was set in modern time. Yeah. But um, whether it was successful is maybe another question. That is a sub-question. Okay, that's true. I mean, like... I would I would not want to see this show in like actually I recant. I would love to see this set in like the 1950s. I would love Ooh. because you know we the 50s were a time where I mean religion was like a big thing and so like especially setting it in like the deep, yeah the deep south in the 50s can you imagine okay that could be really cool I'm Ooh. actually really into this idea see this is how you need to approach Errol for his major project <laughs> no <laughs> it's okay actually I want a recorded response of what Errol would say to that um why don't you just Okay, I'll get us on a three-way call, and then I'll record it, and then we'll put it on the we'll Patreon. Figure it out. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Oh yeah. God. <laughs> Memo to me. Get a freaking Patreon set up. Okay. So, uh... <laughs> that's a problem for next year, Stephen. Uh-huh. 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 You mean tomorrow? <laughs> tomorrow, <laughs> Annie. <laughs> it's callback humor. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> Uh, you did amateur or professional scale of one to ten how hard do you think carrie the musical is to put on two 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 yes it's two the vocal ability that margaret white and carrie must possess alone deserve a three. Oh, okay fine fine i'll give it a three Everything else, literally, the, we we had one flat that had two doorways, and we had, like, chairs that came on and off, and then we had the prom set up, which was literally a pergola that said the word prom. I mean, my... And the bucket of blood was a dribble. It, and this, oh, my God, it got on this poor girl's microphone and in her eyeball. Like, oh, oh, yeah. oh God. I just... I looked at the phantom and went, uh-oh. Some sound technician is like, oh, Jesus Christ, my microphone. Oh, oh my God, my microphone. I didn't, even, I, I didn't even add this in. Uh, part of the whole Tech Week craziness was they were having issues with the blood. Of course they were. In the of, microphone. Of course they were. So their Weber wart was having a problem. Do you know their fix? No, my God, tell me. Two of the jock guys came out with a cup of blood and doused her. <laughs> no. No. What happened? No, no, tell it me happened. the real thing. No, no, it happened. No, it happened. That's how... <laughs> so maybe I rescind. You can go back to a two. Oh, <laughs> yeah! I'm doing a two! Forget no. it! No. This is... Actually, I have, I have one musical that I have reserved for a one. <gasps> Whoa, I can't wait to get there, Stephen. Oh. I will keep you all in an edged state. Do you okay. agree with me that mm. this is a two or are you giving it a three for fun? Like, well, I mean, wait. This sits at a three for me. Real, okay. Well, I mean, okay, I get with the vocal prowess. Like, I understand that because like you mentioned, the dissonance with like Margaret and Carrie, like you have to have, if you f*** that up, like it, it kills whatever moment and, we're trying to preserve. This is one of those weird ones where like, it's as hard as an eight because if you don't have the right director, this is just going to go wrong. Oh yeah, totally. So like, this is difficult to put up. This is not easy. No. But overall, the ability to put it up 
is a three in my mind. But okay. I I will state very clearly, I think this show can be great in the right hands. Yeah. I think it can. If emphasis is put in the right places, I think it can work. I'm not sure we've seen it yet. 50 years from now, will Carrie the Musical still be being staged? <laughs> the look across the interwebs, y'all, was was difficult. <laughs> I don't think so. I think that this show has its place and maybe in the annals of history, somebody is going to dig it up in a script shop somewhere and go, oh, I didn't realize they did this based on whatever the book is because I think Stephen King is going to be an author that will, I mean, withstand the test of time because like Stephen yeah. King's got a following unlike most other authors. And so uh, the source material alone will live on in infamy. Um, I think as far as the musical is concerned, it would it's going to take a very specific group of people or a very specific playhouse to go, you know what, we should do this. And then maybe it'll be few and far between. But I, I mean, like it is now, I, it's, I don't think it's going to withstand the, the test of time. I don't think <laughs> I I agree with you. I don't think this is going to stand the test of time, but it will stand the test of time because of its author mm -hmm. and because of the lore of the biggest flop in history. The hubris of a director is going to be like, oh, I can do that show mm -hmm. and they're going to try to put it up and it's going to be crap. I think what I said about a show before, and I think it was Toxic Avenger was that the director that wants to put up this show should run away fast. Yes. Because they're probably going to be too close to it. <clears throat> now, we have a friend <laughs> that wants to put up this show. <laughs> I would be very interested to hear his pitch. Maybe maybe for like the show notesiness of this, we need to figure out what that looks like and have Errol back on for a second and figure out what his take on this show would be. I think I think so. Do like a little bonus episode of like, all okay. right, we're from a director's perspective, how do you pitch this show? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. perfect. Well, let's put that maybe in the radar and get that in Errol's I like head. it. So for all you carry heads out there, look forward to that. Hey. Like and follow. Ring that bell. Because, hey. um, you know, blatantly pitching to follow us is normal ding, ding. and of course my favorite question of all aliens would you show this lovely musical to the little space beings that circle us in the universe to be honest with you i don't think i would i don't think they would get anything out of it granted i would maybe want to see their take on what this is they killed pigs to dump blood on their head what is this or if aliens have telekinetic powers, like that would be the only thing that they would. <laughs> They're like, yeah, why doesn't everyone do this? And also, <laughs> why didn't she just end the race if they were if they were persecuting her? She had the ability to kill them. She's clearly weak. And so are the rest of you. And then we would all be dead. Yeah, bad ideas.
as though this girl revealed herself to me. And now I know that once you see, you can't thoughts on Carrie the musical <laughs> this is a great proof of concept this was we are going to take something absolutely probably not really made for musical theater and we are going to write music for it and we are going to try and see if we can do this and so in that regard I give it points because that is the core one of the core tenants of theater is what can you do with a group of kids that want to do something and a musical score like how can you do that it's the feel goods of trying to get together and do something that is completely daunting that the world has said do not do this please god do not do this i'm telling you this will flop and they all went yeah okay it might but we're gonna do it anyway it almost got there it was like 85 percent in some parts of the show and in other parts, it was like, just go home. Like, it, you know, she doesn't even go here. Yeah, go home. Like, that's what it felt like. So am I sad that I spent two hours watching it? No, because I'm always grateful for the, ex the exposure to different types of shows. Would I be interested to see this if somebody went through rewrites and workshopped it? Absolutely. Will I watch it again? Mm, probably not. Unless Errol goes, we're going to put this show on. <laughs> well... This history broke me and tested every will I had. And, you know, because again, because I know the history now, I find myself feeling a little sorry for it. I feel a little like Sue to Carrie being like, oh, this show. And now I'm like, oh, this show. <laughs> <laughs> ah, cute. I think there is something to be said about that. This show is its own Carrie in a way. People... People will probably think certain things about it. It will have its own reputation and it will live on in infamy for what it is. Like it or hate it, it's here. I I like that. That that does seem to kind of sum it up. Like it or hate it, it's here. On that happy footnote, our gauntlet to the end of our season about death. What is the last show, the literal nail in the coffin to complete our season about death? I'm so excited not only to be done with the season about death because this is getting real heavy. I'm also real excited about this show. I've taken you through an entire season covering every inch death can nook and cranny its way into. Mm -hmm. This will, one, be a lovely reprieve and it will test us in every way in death in a new form. <gasps> Rebirth. Okay. Has Shakespearean roots. What? Okay. And uh, is killing the Broadway scene right now. It is a, one could say a jukebox musical. 
and takes songs of our era and places them perfectly into a reimagining of the classic tale of two families at war and in the end both die but what if one of them lives you're telling shut up if i get if i oh steven if i get this i'm gonna freak i'm gonna freak out i'm gonna freak out are we doing and juliet we're doing and juliet (laughs) holy holy shit oh my god oh my god oh my god okay i i can't my brain Oh my God, my brain. It's not, it's going everywhere. It is all over the floor. There is blood everywhere. I need to clean myself up. This is so (laughs) freaking cool. I am so excited. I have heard the buzz about this show. I have listened to songs from this show. This is one that you and I kind of discovered together. We discovered this show together. Oh my God. I, what a great full circle moment. In season one, we started with the musical that brought us together. Let's end season two with the musical we discovered together. I am thrilled. And if you guys want to get in on our conversation for the next show, for any other show that we've done previously in the last two seasons, make sure you follow us at from the top underscore podcast on Instagram. And if you want to have a longer conversation than what a DM can provide, make sure you email us at podcast from the top at gmail.com. Steven, what a year, what a season. I am so excited to, to end this beautifully with you. And I Just am stoked for what next year will bring us. And happy new year to all of you who are listening. We seriously cannot do what we do without you. We are so grateful to everybody who's joined us in 2023. And we are stoked for 2024. It's time to take the stage, 2024. Show us what you got. And until next time, this has been From From the the Top, Top, a Wandering Unicorn production. So you said that telekinesis is being able to manipulate the physical world. Um, does that mean that since I've had my period and I am a woman, um, do I get to use telekinesis to manifest like Alex Brightman on my doorstep? Ugh, it's not just the nether world. You want nethered? <laughs>